Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, and other listeners with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics, while some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation, and other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of being a teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, just visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. All right, everybody. Well, hello and welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 29. Now, one of the things I love about hosting my podcast is I get to interview really cool and interesting and innovative teachers, and today is no exception. And I am going to share with you listeners that although I did share with her the questions before, I didn't share this part for with her. So this is going to be a little bit of a surprise for her to hear as well. So I was introduced to Trina Altman through her thoughtful posts on social media. While they were focused on anatomy, which is the focus of my teaching as well, they presented yoga in really what I saw as a new and different way. Trina, to me, is someone who is not willing to just go with the flow, if you'll excuse the pun, and do what everyone else is doing. And while you might think it's about being different just to try to be popular, nothing could be further from the truth. Her keen eye towards the practice, backed by her knowledge of anatomy and biomechanics, allows her to question the way things have been presented and give it a fresh new approach, all with the overall goal of helping as many students as possible access the practice, as well as teachers helping them to learn new ways to present it and the whys behind these different approaches, which is so important. So I want to just briefly, before Trina um, jumps in here, just give you a little background on her, although we're going to go into this a lot more from, from herself. So Trina Altman received her training through the Stott Pilates organization and is also a 500-hour experienced registered yoga teacher through Yoga Alliance. She has created two programs, Yoga Deconstructed and Pilates Deconstructed, to show teachers how to take an interdisciplinary approach to foster an embodied understanding of yoga and Pilates in relation to modern movement science. Now, we're going to mention this again at the end, but I'll just start out by saying her website to find out more about her and what she's up to is trinaaltman.com. So Trina, hello. So happy to have you on the podcast. 
I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. So listeners, just so you know, Trina is way on the other side of the country in LA and I'm on the other end in Boston. So we were able to coordinate uh, a time for both of us despite the three hour time difference. And I'm super psyched for that. So Trina, I shared, as you heard, a little bit about your background, but it was kind of just the facts. So I always like people to share their backstory. Um, I know like for entrepreneurs, when I listen to entrepreneur podcasts, they say, what's your origin story? (laughs) I think that it really is so interesting to hear that from teachers. And I think especially for people listening who have gone to your trainings, gone to your workshops, or maybe they've not met you in person, they want to meet you in person, they follow you on social media, they kind of see you in one place, which is the today place. Mm-hmm. Don't know, like, how did she get there? <laughs> right, all the tears you know? and all the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so just give us, you know, for, for the listeners too, Trina and I were chatting before the podcast about different things in our business background before we even started to teach yoga. So wherever you want to start in that origin story, that would be fantastic. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Well, I usually just start, um, I didn't begin this career until I was 36. So I'm 47. So about 11 years ago um, is when I took my 200 hour teacher training. Yep. Um, Yes. That first training, like what was the spark for that? Uh, it was interesting. Well, you know, in my twenties, I lived in New York city and and worked in New York city and had several different careers and various industries. Um, but in my, well, I met my husband when I turned 30 Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we started dating and gosh, we lived in a lot of different places because he's a doctor. And so we moved for, um, you know, th- there was residence, there was medical school and yep. anyway, you know, internship and residency yep. and <clears throat> anyways. Um, but uh, yeah, we were living in New Haven, Connecticut mm-hmm. and I had just quit um, my job as a textile designer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was where wow. I moved back to. I grew up there, and then I moved back there um, after living in New York City. When I, I guess I left New York when I was uh, twenty-nine. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> okay. And uh, yeah, so I, I moved back to be with a, a guy I was dating, and that didn't work out. Yeah. Um, but ended up meeting uh, my husband Farzad there. Uh, and um let's see gosh it's always like how many how many stories to tell um (laughs) (laughs) after he finished medical school and internship in Tulsa uh we moved to Connecticut because he did his residency at Yale and um actually he moved and I didn't and then I really hated my job. Um, at that point, I was just like done. And so I went, I visited him for a weekend yeah. and said, I, I can't go back. And so I sent wow. my resignation letter to the wow. where I was working. Yeah. And then had my parents just like mail me a box of coats and warm clothes because it was wow. cold. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's pretty uh, brave. That's pretty courageous to do. You must have. Yeah. Really- this is it for me. 
Yeah, well, it's funny. He kind of did the same thing. So he moved to Phoenix for his internship. Um, and then about three weeks later, decided he, he missed me. And so um, was able to get a spot and stay in Tulsa, Oklahoma after med school and do his um, his internship there. And so then, yeah, he finishes his internship. It's time for residency. He moves to Connecticut and I go visit him and it's kind of the same thing. Like, no, I wow. can't. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we were in Connecticut for four years and I just really didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I had um, worked in my twenties as an investment banker on Wall Street. That was my first job out of school. And then um, in as a fashion designer, jewelry design, textile design. So in a lot of different creative fields. Yeah. And um yeah, so when we moved to to New Haven, I was just kind of at the state of like, okay, you know, I didn't like working on Wall Street, and even though I I loved working in in the creative world, yeah. corporate world, yeah. it was still corporate. It was still yeah. you know seventy hour weeks and you know no work life balance and not always. Uh, it was, it, I wasn't always able to be creative because I was working for a big company. And so, you know, the trend, like the, you know, trend forecasters are like, okay, these are the trends for this year. This is what you design, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I did, uh, you know, I had my own jewelry design business and sold my jewelry to, um, to stores uh, for a while, but I, I just, you know, it was, I like the artistic part of it. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. when I started getting the big orders, I was like, hmm, no, yeah. I just want to make another new thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to give you, you know, like figure out how to go to Hong Kong or China right. and get 200 of these. Right. That doesn't sound like fun. So, um, <clears throat> so I was just kind of, you know, I was taking a metalsmithing class and um, I got a job as a nanny because I, I yeah. thought, well, you know, why not? Like, yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was fun, you know, it was like part time. Yeah. And, and I started taking some yoga classes. I met a friend in the metalsmithing class who owned a yoga studio okay. and, you know, I wasn't making much money and, and she's like, don't worry, you can just come to my classes because I own the studio, you know, and I'll comp you. You just can't go to anyone else's. Yeah. So I started going to her classes and, and like I took some classes. I remember at the local library and, and my husband was like, well, you really like this yoga thing. Like, why don't you do, you know, the teacher training and become a teacher? And, and you I didn't like, have at that point any Pilates or yoga background. Uh, no, I mean I was always active and loved yeah. to move, but I had never taught a group fitness class or yeah, I had no uh, background okay. in any of that. I, I did gymnastics growing up and okay, um, competitive cheerleading. Got it. You know, I took um, a yoga class one semester in college and okay. had the like Patricia Walden, yeah. VH, Betamax, you know, yeah. <laughs> that I did I know exactly. after, after the yeah. step aerobics, you know, yeah. Yeah. but um, yeah. And, and I did a little bit of Bikram yoga in my twenties in New York, okay. but you know, more just like stress relief. Cause I was so, um, you know, just work working all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, I had every reason why I shouldn't do that yoga training. I was like, well, I'm not making any money and it costs this much money. And yeah, you know, you're not making any money and you've got all these medical school 
yeah. <laughs> um, debts to pay off. And, and I was like, plus, you know, I would just be an embarrassment to my parents because, you know, well, they, they put me through college and, you know, then they have to say that their daughter's a yoga teacher. Like, right. 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 and um, I can relate to that. Sometimes my mom still says to me, are you going to get a real job? <laughs> right. I'm like, mom, this is my job. You know? I know she doesn't mean it like that, you know, yeah. but it's been kind of a process of coaching them. But I think that sometimes, you know, there's just a different mindset with, with <sighs> folks that are, you know, kind of, from a different time. Generation. Yeah. We're very traditional and standard, which you and I both did that. Path. Well, yeah, this didn't exist as a career <laughs> until right. not, not too long ago, actually, right. you know? So, um, but he was like, well, who are you living your life for? Um, and I was like, ah, you know, like, that's a really great question. <laughs> it yeah. puts things in perspective. So he just really supported me in doing something I loved, whereas, um, you know, my parents wanted me to do something I loved, but also, you know, like it had to mean never going into debt to do it and, you know, be making like an immediate return on your investment. So yeah. even when I worked in fashion design, it was like, you know, I paid to go to FIT with my yeah. credit card and bought my sewing machine with my credit card because they were like, no, we're, we're not sending you to graduate school unless it's law school, med school, or business school, because right. then we'll get a return on our investment. So very, very traditional. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, I signed up for a 200 hour um, training with Kim Valeri called Yoga Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you're very familiar because she's yeah. from Massachusetts. Yeah. And it was um, one week and a month for 13 months. And I just absolutely loved it. Wow. Um, I loved, you know, the community. I loved everything I was learning. It was the first time I was in an environment where um, people were nice to each other and not like <laughs> super competitive and cutthroat. Yeah. And like everyone was just there to learn and, um, and you know, heal and just have, you know, self-discovery. And um, yeah, it was just kind of mind-blowing because yeah. I was used to the corporate world and yeah. academia. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm sure you can relate. Yeah. Juxtaposed <laughs> with what you had just been through, you know, and kind of the different transitions you made, it sounded like you landed in that spot and you thought, wow, this is like exactly where I'm supposed to be. Well, yeah. And even, you know, I love living in New York City all through my 20s, but it's, you know, it's pretty dog eat dog. It's survival yeah. of the fittest. So. Yeah. So um, as soon as I um, like heard she was also doing a 300 hour, I immediately started taking those modules, even though I wasn't done with my 200 hour because I knew we were going to move. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to do it with her because it, at the time it was a yoga um, therapy, like an IAYT approved yep. 300 hour. Yep. And I thought I was only going to do um, like yoga therapy and privates because I was afraid to get up in front of people. And really? I was afraid to take a, yeah, to teach a group class. I mean, petrified. That was like a huge um, mountain for me to climb, like lots of therapy, lots of coaching. <laughs> wow. I find it so interesting because you're so animated and you seem so comfortable. It's always interesting to hear people's initial. I am now, but I was not. I mean, everything, wow. even I had to get over that hump for teaching 
in person, yes. but then, and also uh, all over again for teaching in front of a camera, you know, to be. Where, where do you think that initial, those initial fears came from? Um, well, growing up, I, you know, I, I was used to quote unquote performing, uh, you know, like competitive yeah. cheerleading. We, yeah. you know, but it wasn't, I wasn't speaking. Right. Right. Um, and same thing with gymnastics, right? You're moving, but you're not talking. I was never like the only school play I was, I think it was in two. One was Alice in Wonderland and I was an oyster and had no lines. And the other one, I can't remember the play, but I remember I had one line and it was in German. And wow. so, maybe yeah. That early, maybe that early oyster role impacted <laughs> your childhood psyche. I mean, it's so interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, you know what? I took a public speaking class in college and it was so traumatic. I remember we did have to video ourselves um, and, you know, like speak in front of the class and the class was small. It was, you know, maybe 15, 20 people. Yeah. I, but yeah, it was just so um, stressful for me. Yeah. 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 So, you know, yeah, I guess never doing theater or debate club or any of that kind of, you know, even getting, I don't, yeah, I just, I guess I never, even in, I guess back then too, maybe it's different now, but we never gave presentations in yeah. school. Sure. Um, you know, maybe. You were like a shy person or it's just, you didn't have the experience doing it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sh I'm somebody who I love connecting with people that I know and have things in common with. Yeah. Um, especially like in smaller groups or one-on-one, -on -one. but yeah, no, I'm not the kind of person who likes to go to like a big giant party where there's tons yeah. of people and just talk to people I've never met before. Yeah. That's not my idea of fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah. I dive into it because, you know, for people yeah. who are listening, who again, kind of, hear you tell these stories, but then see you now. And also maybe who struggle with their own fears around get, I mean, I know for newer teachers, there's always that huge fear of getting up in front of a class. You can know the sequence in your head, but like your throat closes off and you yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, the only reason I got over it was because I, I really wanted to teach yep. group yoga classes because, you know, as a kid, I didn't care. I wasn't like, oh, I really want to be in a play and have lines. Like, no, right. I, did, I had no interest in that whatsoever. So right. Right. there's no reason to try to overcome it. Yeah. So at this point, then you were, you did the 200, you were doing 300 concurrently. And then what happened? Uh, so then we moved to, well, we moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, because Farzad, um, matched with a fellowship in interventional radiology. Okay. And then we got there and he, uh, I guess maybe it was like two months in, decided he didn't want to do that specialty anymore. Okay. Um, yeah. It's like waking up. It, it's, it's one of those where it's kind of like being a surgeon and sure. you know, on call, middle of the night, six feet of snow, go to the hospital, yeah. put on a lead vest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I was very happy because I didn't want him to have that kind of lifestyle, but, yeah. um, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, so he changed his mind, reapplied to a new fellowship in musculoskeletal radiology, um, oh. which was in, oh, and, and so, um, in the meantime, like in an interim year, he just took a job as a general radiologist in Iowa, in Iowa city. 
Oh, okay. So we were in uh, Milwaukee for about six months. I taught yoga there actually in our living room. And then I worked a desk at a yoga studio and got a job teaching like my first yoga classes at a yoga studio. And then I also taught yoga at two other gyms mm-hmm. and, um, Let's see. Yeah. And then, but that was just six months. Um, And he actually left after three. So we, he, I was still in Milwaukee. He moved to Iowa and then I moved to Iowa with him. And it was while I was there that I was teaching at a studio that had both yoga and Pilates. Mm -hmm. Um, And the studio owner was pregnant and I was taking the reformer classes there. And um, she said, you know, there's a reformer, Sought reformer training. It's in Cedar Rapids, which is about 45 minutes away. The teacher's incredible. It's, you know, like three, four day weekends. If you take the training and pass the test, um, you know, would you be interested in covering for me when I'm on maternity leave? Hmm. I was like, sure. <laughs> that sounds okay. great. You know, I can, you know, practice on all the equipment and take a training. And I loved, you know, the classes and um, all the equipment, you know, she had all of it. And, uh, so that's kind of how I fell into the teacher train, Pilates teacher training. I had always wanted to do Pilates, but it was expensive and I didn't really have the money. So when we moved to Iowa, her, her reformer classes were, you know, just a little bit more expensive than the yoga classes. Mm -hmm. And so it was very exciting to, you know, be able to, to take them. And so, yeah, so I did that. And, um, and then I did the mat training as well in yeah. Cedar Rapids. And then we moved to California. And so when we moved here, I finished up um, Cadillac Chair and Barrels to be comprehensively trained at the Stott Studio down in Long Beach. Okay. Yeah. And um, and then, let's see. Yeah, I went to India that uh, right before we moved here as well. So we moved here in 2010. And a friend of mine um, lived here. And I think what happened was we would come visit Farzad's parents who were down in Orange County. And I would see her. And and one time she said, oh, you know, when you come, what do you want to do? And I said, let's go take a yoga class. And she lived near um, Pasadena. And so we ended up going to um, one of Jill Miller's workshops. And it was, yeah, it was funny because she did come to New Haven a few times and teach at fresh studio, but just never worked with my schedule. And I I knew Lily Chandra um, because Lily taught classes at the gym in North Haven that I used to Uh go to. So, um, so yeah, so I took, I took that workshop and then when we, when we moved here, I got an email from yoga works about this yoga tune up level one training. And I said, I think I really want to take this. And I remember at this point, Farzad was like, okay, well, you just did your 200, your 300, your comprehensive Pilates, and you just went to India. Are you sure? And I was like, yeah, there's just something that tells me I really need to do this. Um, And so I did it. It was a seven-day training. And um, it was great because I had you know, kind of taking classes um, around where we moved and noticed that everything was like hot power flow and, yeah. you know, who can do the most arm balances and handstands <laughs> and acro stuff. And uh, I was starting to think, especially, basically everything I learned in my Pilates training was a lot of kinesiology and exercise science and anatomy and 
you know, just understanding principles of, of stability and strength and corrective exercise and regressions and progressions. Um, and so I, you know, when I lived in Iowa and Milwaukee, I, I could teach flows that were like tame, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas here, nobody really wanted that. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'm, I'm maybe I just won't teach yoga anymore. Like I'll just teach Pilates. And so it was by doing that yoga tune-up training where I realized, oh, I can still teach yoga. I just have to call it something else. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> they're just, you know, the, like the name, it needs to be yoga, blah, blah, blah. So yoga yeah. tune-up or whatever, like you know, brand, like, like a branding thing. You kind of, yeah. Or even, you know, if it's like yoga strong or say, you know, like, there's yoga detour. I mean, you hear everything nowadays, but you know, nine right. years ago, it wasn't as common. Right. Um, so let me just ask you a quick question though. So when you kind of were at that fork in the road where you realized this is what kind of the, the trend is and how yoga is being presented, but mm-hmm. yeah, not, but, you know, and I see that although I have a different you know, direction in how I teach, a different focus of my teaching. How, how did you feel about that? Did you feel like not a problem? I'm going to rebrand what I'm doing or gosh, I, you know, like you had said at one yeah. point, thinking of just not, not doing um, it. I mean, it was really hard. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was really hard. Um, yeah. When I, I, I used to drive about an hour and a half each way to teach classes in North Hollywood. Um, I live in Manhattan beach. So, I mean, it's like the other end of the the earth, you know, at a Muay Thai boxing gym where I would bring my blocks, blankets and straps myself. Um, And it was like, the floor was like a wrestling mat floor. Um, You know, I taught at a country club that was really far away, but it was older clientele who appreciated, you know, what I was teaching and, and, you know, loved it. So, yeah, I think I was, um, you were kind of a ship looking for your dock, right? You were like kind of, yeah, I was, I mean, you know, I'm pretty stubborn. So it's like, if people, (laughs) if people, um, tell me that it should be this way and I know that it's, you know, I disagree. I just, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Let me me ask you this, because this will come up in another question. So why didn't you just say to yourself, and I kind of know the answer, but just to kind of put it out there, oh, I'll just teach the way everybody else is teaching. And then I can drive five minutes from home and I can just suck it up and just, I can do that. Like, why, why didn't you do that? Uh, because I knew too much. I, yeah. I was like, I can't watch people do what they're doing on my watch. Yeah. It was like, it was just a straight up like conscious um, my conscious conscience wouldn't allow it. It was like, yeah. no, I'm, I'm not going to watch people wreck themselves on my watch. I just, I'm so not. that, so that's what it was. You felt like it was like, um, like an alignment slash safety kind of. Well, I just know, I knew that one size doesn't fit all. Mm-hmm. And that's what those classes were. They were mm-hmm. one size fits all. Yeah. You know? It kind of reminds me of when I walk in Boston, especially this time of year when it's nice out, <clears> there are outdoor boot camp trainings. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm out going to some yoga class or whatever, and it's like six in the morning and there's a group of like 30 people on the Boston common and they're all doing, there's one fitness trainer and they're all doing the same thing, but the people in the class are all so different. And, um, and I'm, well, 
Yeah, I mean, I think that you can, like, if those people know, like, say, you know, the boot camp class is like, okay, I'm going to start off with like, you know, three sets of 10 kettlebell swings. Mm -hmm. And you as a person know, like, there's whatever, 10 different kettlebell weights to choose from, Mm -hmm. you know, which one to pick up. Mm -hmm. then it's fine, right? Mm -hmm. Because the load is going to be appropriate to the person, assuming the person knows which load to do, as well as if the teacher says, you know, just because I say to do three sets of 10, like, you know, if you didn't sleep well last night, like maybe you should only do two sets of 10. Right. Um, But with a yoga class, it's one person was walking around saying, inhale up, exhale fold inhale halfway exhale fold and I was like what is this sing-songy like guru guru stuff like this is this is you know it's like there there wasn't any um sort of modulation based Mm -hmm. on um time intensity loads Mm -hmm. nothing Mm -hmm. so all these variables that you felt really important to be part of the well yeah and at least in a boot camp class like they will demo things first right mm-hmm. they'll be like okay this is what we're going to do today and there's five mm-hmm. exercises and like they show you like what a kettlebell swing looks like and then they'll say like oh don't want to do the swing this is what a goblet squat looks like mm-hmm. so whereas I, these vinyasa classes i was going to it was like usually you know some dude walking around sing-songy right, <laughs> like right. the inhales and the exhales and then a lot of times there would be like some young 20 something demoing uh, this was like at a workshop I took once yeah, yeah. um but but the classes yeah no it just I, I always called them walkie-talkie teachers they yeah. would just walk around and talk <laughs> And I would just be like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. This choreography I've never seen before. I'm going to watch the people around me and just hope I'm watching somebody that knows what they're doing. Right. (laughs) I think what you you just described is the mindset probably of so many people that take class is they just kind of hitch their wagon to someone nearby. Well, what choice do you have? Yeah. Right. There's no, the te- if the teacher doesn't demo and you're a visual learner, your only choice is to look at it, someone else in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you're here, you are, you're driving to all these different places and does this start to kind of pick up some steam for you that you're starting to. Yeah. Make- well, people really liked what I was doing. Like they yeah. loved it, you know? Yeah. And so then for me, it was like, okay, how can I, you know, find some places on the West side yeah. um, that, you know, are the same demographics yeah. that will also appreciate what I do, but I don't have to drive an hour and a half each way. <laughs> well, isn't that so, I mean, I want to say validating, but I don't want to make it like like an ego thing, but it must have been so great to feel like you were presenting something in a way that resonated with you and people, you found your peeps who also were really loving it. And it's like, okay, I'm going to keep going with this because I just need to find those people who can appreciate what I have to offer in the way I'm offering it. Yeah. I mean, the yoga studio, um, sort of culture is very, was very set. I mean, I'm sure it still is. Um, I mean, I know it still is in certain places. So all I had to do was just find people that weren't drinking that yoga Kool-Aid. Right. right. <laughs> you know, right. that was, that was easy. Right. It was, or they had done it and were like, this doesn't feel good. Or, right. I, I don't like that. 
I want, right. I want yoga. I just want something else. Mm -hmm. And then it was actually kind of easy because it was um, like everything was the same and I was the only one doing something different. Right. That's an interesting way to think about it. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think of a typical vinyasa flow class, right. Yeah. It's like, if your wrists hurt, you're going to hate it. Right. Um, if the transition, you know, in, if any of the transitions in the sun salute don't feel good, you're going to hate it because right. it's all based on the sun salute. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then if you, um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's like an endless list of why reasons you might not like a vinyasa right. flow class, but you would like yoga. Right. Exactly. And there, it, there really isn't a lot within the context of what we're talking about, kind of the standard way it's presented. There really isn't a lot of ways that it's changed up. And, you know, I, I'm anxious to get to some of the things that you do to change things. Um, I think just in general, though, you know, for kind of the standard yoga class, there really isn't a lot of modification offered. Uh, so if any of those touch points that you just mentioned are not <clears throat> resonating with people, you're right, they are kind of stuck, unless they know enough to modify themselves. And a lot of people probably don't do that or know how to or feel comfortable doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think, I think so much has changed. Um, you know, I'm speaking of nine years ago now, yeah. Yeah. um, from before, I mean, I'm sure I, it, part of it's that I live in a little bubble. So I see all the, the, the change, um, right. the, the teachers that are doing, you know, still teaching flow, but teaching it in a way that, um, solves all of those problems. Got it. Um, yeah. But back then, it was really like either vinyasa flow, and if you didn't like that, then your options were kundalini, yin, restorative, gentle. Mm -hmm. You know, it was basically like, you know, really, really like lie there and do nothing kind of stuff, right. or, you know, hot power flow, vinyasa flow, ashtanga, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. There was no middle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, did things kind of slow, steady growth from that point and you, you ended up, you know, years later with a more full repertoire of offerings? Um, you know, I think I just always learn. I always love learning and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, for me, it was just, I was really injured and I was, you know, saying to myself, okay, well, I love to move. I'm really injured. I got to figure out why I got injured mm -hmm. and, you know, how I can get better so that I can be moving and, you know, exercising and doing all the things that I love to do for the rest of my life. And mm -hmm. if I'm injured, you know, and I've, I'm a teacher, like I've done my yoga training and my Pilates training, then like what's happening to everybody else. Right. <laughs> so I would just, you know, everything I learned, I would incorporate into my teaching. So when I went to physical therapy, um, you know, and, and learned all the things I learned there, I would incorporate it into my Pilates and yoga classes. And, I, you know, same thing when I, you know, I just, I take a lot of different, I took, you know, I've taken Feldenkrais classes once a week for years and um, an adult beginner modern dance class where the whole beginning of it for 45 minutes was, um, you know, Laban and Bartenia fundamental somatics. And, you know, I've taken private, uh, you know, personal training for years and then, you know, Pilates gyrotonic yamana 
privates, you know, so I, I just love to learn. Um, and then whatever I learn or whatever problems I'm able to solve, um, I share that with my students and, you know, in Pilates, basically, you know, you're not allowed to take a class unless you take privates first. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, the majority of my income has always come from teaching privates. Right. And, um, you know, I love teaching privates because you're, there's a conversation, you're using your problem solving skills, your analytical skills. Um, You know, private clients, at least the ones I have, they, they don't come and are like, you know, oh, we need to, we have to do yoga today, or we have to do Pilates, or we have to, you know, do strength training. They just come in and they'll say, how are you feeling? And what do you want to work on? You know, there's no delineation between modalities. Right. Right. And the conversation part, I think, is so key um, and can make it, you know, even more challenging for the teacher. I think in a way, it's kind of easier to just stand there and talk and not get any verbal feedback. (laughs) You know, once you start getting the verbal feedback, you know, you really have a different whole level of things to address as a teacher. Yeah, I guess. But see, I would have never survived as with this as a career if my only option was to teach group classes. I would have just, my brain would have just, yeah, yeah, I would have been miserable. So yeah, but I could see that like, yeah, I'm not that way, but yeah, sure. Like you just come up with a sequence and then you try drive around town and teach it at different places. Like, yeah, there's not a lot of thinking or problem solving. I mean, other than coming up with a sequence. Other than that. Yeah. So tell, I mean, we've touched on it a little bit, but you know, kind of encapsulating your teaching style. I mean, I feel like your approach is different and we've talked a little bit about kind of the genesis of that. Um, you know, just this idea of why you're changing things up. So it sounds mm-hmm. it came in large part from your background and some of the injuries you had in your own body. But if you had to kind of like, if you met somebody on the street, how would you encap? And they were like, Hey, you know, what's your approach? How, how would you describe it? Especially for those listening who haven't taken your classes or. Seen right. Them. Right. Um, Well, there's, it's funny. I mean, I guess your editor can edit this out, but um, uh, this, I just pulled out a piece of paper because (laughs) this is always the hardest part, right? The uh, sort of elevator pitch thing. But I would say um, I'm really good at giving people permission to break out of the box they were given or that they were originally taught that Mm -hmm. might not be serving their bodies or their students' bodies very well. So by pulling an inspiration from, you know, science, um, you know, mo- movement science, exercise science, and then other modalities. So I just think of yoga and Pilates as mindful movement modalities. Mm. So it, it, why can't I bring in Feldenkrais or henesomatics or, I mean, to me, strength training is a mindful movement modality. You're, yeah. You know, um, think, you know, FRC, uh, gyrotonic, Um, and bring that back to my group classes because they're not like me. They're not going to run around and take all these different classes and private lessons. But if I can solve their problems, Mm -hmm. then why not? And And I'm really creative. So I'm just always coming up with, you know, different variations of poses and movements. Um, so that I can give people permission 
to ask questions, I think, about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yeah. Um, and also give them permission to play as they move because that's how we learn. We learn through play. We don't yeah. learn by somebody telling us what to do without knowing why we're doing it and then just doing it over and over again. Yeah, it's funny. I, um, I teach kids and I have taught kids yoga for over 10 years and it is very much like that when you teach kids, you know, like you go in, yeah. and, but they're all about just playing. And so you have to, as the adult, adapt to wherever they're at in that particular day. And that with the adults, like you're saying, there isn't a real play element to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if there's not, then a lot of it I mean, the other thing is, you know, coming from the corporate world, it's like, I, I have this career because I don't want everything to be so serious yeah. and competitive, right? <laughs> like, you did that. You know, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I love problem solving. So if I teach a class, say, where I'm, you know, deconstructing the wild thing, right? It doesn't matter by the end of class if we do the wild thing because what they've learned along the way about so what's tell me, required. Tell me about when you just said deconstructed, it really just hit me about that word in your branding, I guess I would say yoga deconstructed. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Like, how would you explain that to me? Cause I guess right. I it now that you're saying, i.e., wild thing, so you're breaking mm -hmm. it down into its component parts. What, what, it, tell me more. About well, that. yeah, I mean, like the easiest way is you could just look at what are the directions of movement at every joint required uh -huh. for the wild thing, yeah, and then, um, you know, what are like what would be a great Feldenkrais, you know, five minute sequence to teach that would help people understand better. Um, an area of their body that they're going to need for that pose. What would be, you know, like five or six corrective exercises um, that would help them see and self-assess whether they're ready for that pose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those corrective exercises might be harder than just going into that pose because <laughs> um, I know how to make corrective exercises really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and you're a lot less likely to get injured doing a corrective exercise from, you know, strength and conditioning world or physical therapy world than you are doing a big giant pose where every joints in its end ranges of movement and gravity is getting you there. Interesting. I um, think too, the yeah. interesting thing about that is it does, I'll bet, give people an appreciation for other things, like you say, other things that can do, they can do that aren't necessarily the end game pose, which is what so many people are so attached to in general, that like you say, are just as hard, if not harder, and build the muscles in whatever way you want to build them, whether it's to make them stronger, to make them more mobile, to increase range of motion. So it's almost like you don't even need to get to the end game, like you said. Yeah. Or when you get there, you actually feel like you're prepared because you've, yeah. you, the specificity of it, right? Yeah. So there's no specificity usually in a, a typical yoga class. You just do a whole bunch of different yoga poses. I mean, yeah, the class will have a theme, right? but you know, if you are going to take a private lesson, nobody would ever, um, you know, like, uh, regress in that way. Right. Right. I see what you mean. Yeah. Break it down. Right. 
deconstruct it. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're going to learn how to do crow pose, you know, you it's basically you're pushing your entire body weight. So you just go, okay, how much do I weigh? Right. Okay, cool. Like, are you going to go bench press that with your wrists in complete end range of motion without even gripping the bar? No. Yeah, I see. (laughs) Right? Yeah. That's insanity. That is just straight up insanity. So, uh, but yet that's what we do. We're just like, you know, yeah, like crow, you don't have to lift your feet up. There's the modification. Well, that's no load. They're never going to get to crow going from no load to all their body weight. Like, yeah, maybe lift up one foot, but, but like maybe they are strong. They just don't have wrist mobility. So maybe they do bench press their body weight, but they can't do crow because um, they don't have the range of motion in their wrists. So then why not do, you know, wrist mobility um, exercises in your yoga class, even though they come from say the circus arts gymnastics community. Right, right. Which is interesting because I just had a conversation last night about someone who feels challenged doing wheel because of lack of wrist mobility. So they'll see it in other poses as well if they see it in crow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're used to, <clears throat> like I'm used to working in environments where, I mean, I always talk about like, here we are, we have phones in our pockets that can, you know, like be calculators and, you know, video cameras and address books. But yet, like, there are, you know, if you, if I were going to regress wheel for you at the gym or the Pilates studio, like there's endless props. I could put you on the ladder barrel, the spine corrector, the arc barrel. At the gym, we could get out the physio ball, like, you right. know, whereas right. in yoga, there's nothing. There's the floors, right. the walls, the blocks, and the blankets. Right. It's, yeah. It's funny that you say that because I actually have a student who comes to my classes regularly, but we live in Back Bay. And so I see her at the gym all the time. And I use the physio ball with her in the gym at random because she yeah. was talking about her challenges in wheel. And I said, you should just lay back on that ball. Well, yeah, you can actually press, like you can do, you could do three sets of 10 um, with the ball, right. Where mm-hmm. you're, you're getting like, um, passive range of motion for free, like you would in a plank. Yep. Yep. So if you have this, like the spine and the shoulder and the hip range, and it's just your wrists, right. You can't, can actually do it on the ball because just like, if you don't have the wrist mobility, you can still do plank right? because the floor just pushes your wrist into that right. range for you. Interesting. Yeah. And I think, so this whole kind of, I mean, do you feel that the training path you took gave you kind of the inspiration to break things down, to kind of look at things through a different lens than so many people? Um, I mean, I think I've always been this way. (laughs) It's definitely part of my DNA, my personality. So growing up, you know, I was, both of my parents are Jewish. So I went to Sunday school, you know, from like kindergarten till I was confirmed um, in in 10th grade. And I went to, you know, Hebrew school and had a bat mitzvah, but the better schools um, were private schools. So I went to Episcopal school and Catholic school. And so from a very young age, I would hear everybody insisting that they were right and that their way was the only way. Uh And I always, I always had a big picture of like, Oh, that's interesting. You know, like, Oh, you fast for Yom Kippur. Well, that's what, you know, the, in Catholicism, it's all about fasting, you know, or it's Lent. Right. So, and you think you're right. And they think they're right. 
Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, so I was, I, you know, was, I'm never, <laughs> yeah, I just, I question everything. And then I like to, I think, yeah, my mind just always integrates and I, I see how things can go together that are maybe separate. Um, even just, you know, I've lived so many different places and, um, I went to a lot of, I transferred schools quite a few times and you certainly just from the, yeah, I've moved a lot. So Mm -hmm. I think I have more of a big picture. Yeah. I'm more of a big picture person and, um, and then I'm very visual and super creative. So I, I have an artist's brain in the sense of, you know, like when I did fashion design, it's, it's kind of similar to what I do now. It's just like, there's only, um, so many kinds of fabric and so many kinds of, you know, like buttons and zippers and trimmings. And, um, you're just picking different ways to drape the fabric, to design the clothes. And it's the same thing with movement, right? There's only so many different ways to move and we only have so many different joints. Right. And then it's like, what's the goal? you know, is this person's goal to, you know, be able to get up and down off the floor and play with their grandkids? Or is this person's goal to be able to, you know, um, sort of master the intermediate Pilates repertoire of exercises on the equipment? And then, and then I just use, yeah, problem solving skills to, to backtrack. And that's, and I'd love to do, I mean, even when I worked at Barney's and, you know, just sell it in retail, the person would come in and say like, okay, you know, I I have to go to this blah, blah, blah event and it's outside and this is the dress code and, you know, and so they might say, well, I really like this dress. And I'm like, yeah, me too. And then I knew I have a pretty good visual memory. I would just walk to all the different floors and come back and be like, okay, this purse with this, you know, necklace with these shoes would all really look good with this dress. And that's what I do with exercises and poses and also, but tailor them to the person. Yeah. 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 I think that's such a good metaphor. And, and I think the other thing it does, especially if people are listening who are still, and I don't want to say still, but for people who are listening who are at the point in their yoga life where they are working a full-time job and teaching on the side and wondering, you know, how am I going to make the shift? It, mm-hmm. It's so interesting because nothing, I always say nothing is ever wasted, you know, all no. done will <laughs> apply. And just what you described is such a perfect way to see how nothing is ever wasted and there's always a way to apply it to to teaching. Yeah, absolutely. That it's yes. And um if you can figure out how you know what you love to do and what your strengths are, um, you know, of course that's the that's the key. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now we've touched on a couple of examples and again I I watch a lot of your videos so I have I have a good kind of sense of some of these things. So I want to but I want to, for some of the listeners who maybe aren't as familiar, I want to get into a little bit about kind of a two-pronged thing. So we've talked somewhat about some of the concerns that come up when we think about moving in the same way all the time and kind of some of those early years and how yoga was presented. Um, And then there's, you know, kind of some of the ways that you present the practice differently. So we talked a little bit about the crow example. Mm-hmm. Are there other things that 
like maybe another example of something, even just the concept of sun salutation, since that is still really such a big part of, of the way yoga is presented. Some of the thoughts around that from maybe a biomechanical perspective and, and how people could offer that differently. Yeah, I think, um, you know, introducing options and variability uh, to everything. So say, um, you know, if you learn sun salutation and it was always feet together, like, right. what if we try it today with feet apart? What if we try it with our, like, all in internal rotation? And then what if we try at the hips and external rotation? So feet in, feet out. Right. Um, what if we, you know, for Cobra, and instead of putting our hands underneath our shoulders, like, put them straight out in front of us or, you know, out at a diagonal or out to the sides. And, mm. um, you know, how does that feel in your back bend? Like, are you, because otherwise you're just doing a back bend the same way over and over again, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, getting some extension in, in more varied ways. And, right. and also just, you know, sort of rational thinking when it comes to load. So, you know, with, with, um, say like upward facing dog, you know, um, if it doesn't feel good, well, right. Like, is there anything in your life you need to be able to, you know, <laughs> balance on the top of your feet, um, with oh, your pelvis hanging yeah. down and yeah. your wrists in full extension? Like there's other ways right. to back bend and do a top of the foot stretch. So if right. that isn't your favorite, like there's, yeah, there's other, um, things we could insert there besides upward dog. Same thing with chaturanga, you know, in fitness world, chaturanga is a tricep push-up. Um, most people who practice yoga are female and can't even do a regular push-up. Yep. So, you know, if you know just sort of how push-up progressions and regressions work, then you could start teaching that in your yoga class. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing that you just mentioned, and I think about it a lot when you teach, not so much bridge, but wheel is how that full spinal extension is not something that really any activity of daily life gives you a chance to do really. I mean, there's really not a lot of things. And when you talk about upward dog, that similarity there, that they're just, you know, if there, if there isn't a translation to a movement that that people are doing off the mat, when they come onto the mat, it's not as if they're really gonna have the muscle memory. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I started gymnastics uh, when I was three, and so wheel, wheel pose was our warm up. We would do, <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, I'm hypermobile, so everything yeah. in yoga was easy and I felt nothing. Um, yeah, so I think that's also, maybe because I come to it with this idea of, um, you know, I was upside down handstanding like all of my youth. And so when I come to yoga and everyone's like all excited about handstands, I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. You know, I don't understand why yeah. this is such a big deal. Um, you know, if there's nothing wrong with it, if there is, if it is, but it's, um, you know, if you're going to train to do, because we all, so I always saw the poses from a gymnastics perspective because that's how right. I learned them all. Right. Um, so <laughs> there was no like hallowed spiritual context on top of it. And so if somebody was like, I really want to learn how to do wheel, well, then my practical brain goes to, 
cool. Like let's, let's go into what would be, you know, like an exercise science based, you know, regression load wise, range of motion wise, um, you know, motor control wise to get you there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, do you feel like, um, or, you know, kind of in your, the lens that you look through, you know, over the years, I've really changed my thought around what we really were kind of, I don't want to say told many years ago, but it definitely was a theme that yoga was kind of the only thing you needed to do. And it was a, it was a great exercise format to, mm-hmm. to stay healthy. And over the years, you know, I've really shifted my thoughts on that. Just, just if you just look at it from the perspective of doing the same thing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Talk about yeah. that. Um, yeah. You know, I started going to the gym when I was in high school because my mom had a trainer and I went with her to like a couple sessions and I just fell in love with it. So I even, you know, before, you know, I didn't do this yoga training until I was 36. And so I had a lot of time doing movements in different spaces. Um, whereas I think a lot of people come to yoga because maybe they don't like moving or they didn't like sports or they hate the gym and then they fall in love with yoga and it makes them feel really good because they go from not moving to moving, (laughs) which is a novel stimulus, which is always going to make you feel better. It's just when that novel stimulus is no longer novel. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And then they start getting the aches and the pains, which is what happened to me because in our training, you know, you want to dive into it because you, you want to learn everything so you can be a better teacher. And when I started having pain just kind of everywhere and, and specifically in you know my neck and my shoulder and my wrists, and um, I thought, you know, well, okay, well, why, why is this happening? And I need to do something about it. Whereas I do think a lot of, um, uh, yeah, I didn't have any guilt around like, oh, you know, I, I just need to do yoga. Um, Mm. and if I don't, I'm a bad yogi. Right. Like, like, no, let's figure this out. Like whatever. (laughs) Um, and I'm always, yeah, I'm always very open to, I think for the most part, looking for solutions that aren't, uh, yeah. If you only stay at the yoga studio and you only ask your yoga teacher back in the day, well, why, like, why does my hip hurt? Oh, I just need to stretch it. Right. (laughs) Um, Which is what a lot of yoga students think because if they do after class, that's almost always what their perception is of what will fix because of the language that yoga teachers often use yeah because of what is also in the common um, vernacular i i do hope that that's changing and i think it's changing yeah 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 Yeah. i mean i think (laughs) even you know recently i saw an article about you know stretching in a men's magazine like online and you know Mm -hmm. not focus on anything in the other direction (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I've been pretty lucky because I've never taught regular yoga classes yeah. at a yoga studio since I've lived here in LA. Yeah. I've always taught at um, Equinox, which is a gym. Yeah. So I never had to toe the line of 
yoga is all you need. It was like, right. hey, welcome to my class. We're going to do some active regeneration right. because you already did your cardio and you already did your strength training and, you know, the downstairs area or in so-and-so's class. Mm-hmm. So I do think that was, that's a, a big part of it if there's pressure, right? Because you're only selling one kind of thing, right? then, you know, and you start saying, well, yeah, yoga is great, but, you know, if you don't ever strength train, you probably will get injured. And then they're like, but wait, I have a membership at this yoga studio yeah, yeah. and I can't afford a membership at the gym too. Yeah. It's a different. I mean, it's kind of like the two different conversations, you know, it's kind of the sales and marketing versus mm-hmm. biomechanical, anatomical, science movement based conversation. And I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. I mean, I guess if we take the sales and marketing piece out of it, it sounds like there's there's more evidence to suggest that about and i believe this that a balanced approach to movement for the long term is much better than the same thing over and over and over again whether that's running or the gym or oh, you absolutely yeah. yeah we we know that um yeah. we also know that the things you enjoy and that you're good at you probably have to do less of and you probably have to do more of the things that you're not good at and you don't yeah. enjoy as much to, you know, to prevent the injuries, which yeah. is re- really hard for, yeah. yeah. And it's not encouraged by our culture. Our yeah. culture says, what do you do? Oh, I play tennis. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a runner. Mm-hmm. I go to spin class. Right. It's like golf. My boyfriend plays golf and they all, all of the guys he plays with, they all complain about their bodies. I'm like, right. Yeah. Besides golf. So, um, so talk a little bit about the, I know you're on the road a lot, you know, and you're doing a whole bunch of different trainings. What kinds of trainings are you doing? 200 hour trainings? Are you doing standalone workshops, especially for people who listen to this and they think, I really have to connect with this person. What is that? Um, Yeah. Well, I'm writing a book um, that is hopefully going to come out in the spring for, um, through Handspring Publishing. And it's called Yoga Deconstructed, Bridging the Gap Between Rehab and the Classroom. Awesome. And um, I have uh, two online courses that are on my website. One is called yoga deconstructed and the other one is um called break it down regress to progress so i travel around teaching um a weekend immersion that's called yoga deconstructed creativity meets science and it's based on um the book that i'm writing as well as those online courses yeah um and then i also have another weekend of workshops that i travel around teaching that's open to the public it tends to be mostly teachers but um there are four different workshops. One is unwreck your neck and the other is, um, put the swish back in your tush. Um, another <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah. Good, <laughs> good copywriting skill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gotta let that creativity come out somewhere. Yeah. Um, I teach one that's on, um, like rotation and spirals called move more like a human and less like a yoga paper doll. So, you know, lots of triplanar movement. Um, so I have that weekend of workshops and then, um, uh, I, I have a, a continuing education course called Pilates Deconstructed where, um, and it, I have online versions of that as well. I know most of your audience is, is um, listeners are yoga teachers. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, that's what the the traveling is mainly teaching those two weekends of workshops. I'll generally teach the one that's open to the public when I go to a new place first, and then they'll invite me back and I'll teach the other one. But both of them, um, I'm a continuing education provider for Yoga Alliance. So a lot of times teacher trainings hire me um, to teach those weekends of workshops as part of a 200 or 300 hour training they're running. Got it. Now, you know, one of the things that I also noticed about you that I really admire, and I always kind of struggle with this a little bit, you know, kind of siloing a little bit of what I do to yoga. Although even within the yoga industry these days, there are some other things, or there are some topics that have come up that that people have really given voice to, whether it's things around abuse on the hands of teachers or just kind of that guru complex or assisting. And, you know, I don't necessarily want us to dive into those issues, although I've noticed that you've really given voice to a lot of these things. And what's kind of, you know, are these things that, you know, personally you feel strongly about? So you're using your platform. And obviously the things that I mentioned are related to yoga. So it's not... Mm -hmm completely outside the scope of what we're doing. Um, Although even, you know, just in kind of balancing, like if I share my views, will I potentially alienate somebody who maybe is a student of mine or maybe a different view? How do you, how do you kind of balance that? Yeah, I think it it still, it goes back to the same thing when I couldn't, you know, like it's that sort of not on my watch, my conscience thing. Um, You know, as a, when I was in college and I was going on interview after interview with one Wall Street firm after another, and, you know, like the person interviewing me was asking me out on a date. Or, you know, like my professor who was my supervisor for my portfolio management of mutual funds, you know, final dissertation paper was like inappropriately trying to touch me, you know, and I, so like I'm 47 years old, that all that kind of stuff happened when I was 22, 23 in, in academia or in a world where, you know, I was the only female in the entire department in which I worked Mm -hmm. in Goldman Sachs. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I didn't really have any, the power or even the, um, vocabulary to speak out about those kind of things at that age. Right. But, you know, it's sort of like, as you get older, um, I mean, part of, one of the main reasons I shifted um, to work in fashion and then into working in fitness and yoga and Pilates is just simply because I wouldn't, so I wouldn't have to deal with, you know, the, like yeah. discrimination and her and, and harassment because right. it's, they were both, um, male dominated yeah. fields uh, field and, and yoga and Pilates are female dominated and most yep. of the men. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. when I see things like, you know, that are happening in the yoga space, right? it's just like, 
no, why is this happening? I mean, it shouldn't happen in any space, but it made a lot more sense that it was happening in, you know, say government or, you know, I also, I was a poli sci major. So it was two summers. I interned the white house and the Senate. I was there the summer, first summer Bill Clinton was in office. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any experiences, but the summer after that Monica did, you know? So yeah, yeah, it just seems crazy to me that like all these studios are owned by women. Most of the teachers are women and all of these horrible things are happening right um you know so um if I speak out about it and somebody who you know is an Ashtanga teacher gets upset it doesn't really matter like they're not going right. to like what I am teaching anyway I hear what you're saying and I feel yeah. like it kind of ties with you know your staying true to your path you know, whether it's how you're presenting the different disciplines and, you know, just your approach, it, it just seems that you have kind of, I don't, I don't know if it's like a well of confidence or just a well of passion, or just maybe when you described kind of when you were growing up and people were just saying to you, this is the way it is. And you were like, oh, I don't think so. And oh my gosh. Curiosity. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, it's definitely in my DNA. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I remember as a young, like as a very young girl, like getting upset when, yeah. you know, they had the prayer book in temple and every pronoun for God was he. And I was oh. like, okay, God's invisible. Nobody's seen Interesting. God. Yeah. Why are we assuming it's a male? And you know, that this is like somebody who's whatever, five, six, seven, yeah. eight, you know, um, I've just always been that questioner. Yeah. And <laughs> I remember I had, I mean, I've also been in therapy for, you know, gosh, like, you know, over 20 something years, which I, I find is really helpful too, because, you know, I, I can go and say, Hey, this is what I think. This is what I want to say. Right. And, you know, how would you say in a very diplomatic way? Because I definitely am not going to say it in this way. Right. <laughs> so, you know, again, just like taking the private sessions with the personal trainer or, you know, um, in Pilates, I, I, I'm a firm believer of, you know, just, we have, you, you need to pay for the education that you need to get in order to, um, you know, sort of make your way in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's such a, I, I think that's such a great, um, kind of tidbit to share. Cause I feel like even in the path of a yoga teacher, we kind of get focused on, okay, so take your 200 hours. Okay, great. Now go out and teach. Well, there's such a path, right? There's so many right. other things that you could be doing and it is such an ongoing process. Yeah. Well, and you know, as a, you know, an entrepreneur, it's like, I'm sure you didn't know how to do everything that you are yeah. now doing in your business. At some point you had to hire somebody to maybe help you with some marketing or something that you didn't yeah. go to school for, yeah. um, or you had to take an online training in it because it wasn't part of your, your wheelhouse exactly. so that you could teach yoga. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny when you look back, but I think that's such a good, um, a good thing to keep in mind is kind of that always be, always be learning, you know, and yet don't be afraid to kind of get out there and, and start doing because there's never going to be a time where you're going to say, okay, I now know everything. Now I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so if there, you know, I, I'm, 
I just know from some of the comments I get and some of the emails I get that there are newer teachers listening. And, you know, even just some of what we're talking about from a teaching perspective and changing things up and, you know, it can be so overwhelming for a newer teacher listening to think Mm -hmm. about outside let's just kind of talk about yoga versus pilates stepping outside kind of what they've been taught so for newer teachers do you have any thoughts on kind of i know we've talked about this kind of always be learning don't put the pressure on yourself to know everything all at once look at Mm -hmm. it as a long path are other things that come to mind when you think about kind of supporting a newer teacher that might be feeling a little overwhelmed (laughs) yeah yeah um well i think if you're wanting to teach things um that are maybe slightly new or different um first of all know why you are teaching the things that you learned in your first training because a lot of times that's not taught yeah um so first you learn okay this is what i was taught in my training um and if they didn't teach you the why behind it, then, you know, you start to figure out the whys behind it. Mm -hmm. And then you can decide, like, do I agree? Do I disagree? Mm -hmm. Um, Do I agree some of the time or all the time? And I I think that if you teach the content that you love and you know why you're teaching it, Mm -hmm. that's really like, not all that matters, but it's like, 99% of what matters. Right. Right. Um, And if you don't, you know, I remember I didn't. So when I got injured and I went to physical therapy, um, I realized, wow, my PT is like a great educator. I just started going and paying out of pocket and I'd show up with like a big stack of textbooks and papers with questions. Um, You know, so I, I, I think that's sort of the, the key thing is, know why um, you're teaching what you're teaching. And if you learn something from somebody else and they don't tell you why, like um, that's kind of the fun part. Uh, I I realize it it requires somebody who likes to be resourceful and who likes to do research. But if you are passionate about something, you'll like doing the research. Right. Right. I always like to think of it too, as if, you know, someone were to come up to you after class and say, you know, maybe ask you a whole bunch of questions, which oftentimes students don't do for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. Uh, or even in the context of class, if there could be a back and forth dialogue as just kind of a standard, like, why are we doing it this way? Or why do you want me to use a block? Or why are you asking me to bend my Mm -hmm. leg this way? You know, it would give us all such an opportunity to really kind of check ourselves in a way. Are we doing things intentionally or just doing them just because that's the way we learned without really knowing the why? Well, yeah. And I think, um, I mean, when I'm teaching a group class, a lot of times I will say things like, um, you know, if I were teaching a private, I would, you know, have you do X, Y, and Z based on A, B, and C. But since it's not, you know, I'm going to give you several different options. Um, Because a group class can never be a private and a private will never be a group class. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. If you want what's received from a private, you should be taking a private. If you want what's received from teaching, you know, a group class is an experience. It's a great, it's a guided group experience. A Mm -hmm. private is something that solves 
an individual's problem. You know, a group, group class is like, I get to make up the problem. Okay, today's problem is we're going to learn how to do, you know, spinal articulation and, you know, sequential uh, rolling right. patterns, <laughs> you know, right, but like, right. maybe that's, it's not what everyone in the class wants to do. Well, that's kind of tough, you know, because if they want to do the thing they want to do, that's a private. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I really, um, I really like that theme and I, I say it too, this idea of the why behind. And I think sometimes the way I know the way I was taught initially, the why part wasn't really shared as much. It was really, this is how it is. Mm -hmm. And I think back to those early days, 2002, 2003, I didn't really ask why. I kind of deferred to, to the teacher. And, mm. you know, now things are very different. And, um, and I always, when I train teachers, I try to always share the why. And even in my classes, sometimes I kind of in my head feel myself saying, oh, Karen, shut up, stop telling them all the whys. <laughs> I like it to be a complete package so that it is. Yeah. It, really clear. Yeah. I, yeah, I was lucky in my Pilates training, you know, the manual, every single exercise had the why and the, mm -hmm. you know, like, but, um, in my, uh, 200 and 300 hour, the why was actually, we would use our light on yoga book. And what I remember our homework was, you know, pick like four to five poses, mm -hmm. write down the names of the poses and then look up in the back like the benefits, you know, it would be like, do, uh, I mean, it was crazy stuff. It would be like, do Supta Baddha Konasana to get rid of period cramps. And so you would write that and like turn it in because that's what it said in the back of light. I know go, well, my response to that was the same as my response to the prayer book, you know, in the temple or in the synagogue as a kid, right. like, right. okay, you're telling me God is a dude, but like, I don't believe you. And you're right. telling me that if I go upside down, you know, I'm going to heal my thyroid. And I also don't believe you. Right. So, right. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So, but, and it's funny, it just keeps coming back to religion, but who knows? I mean, maybe because I was raised Jewish, right. you know, it is, you are taught to question, like Passover is the four questions, question everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, I think that's a great, I think that's <laughs> it's kind of funny, but maybe, you know, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think it's just a great, and, and it does speak to kind of the teaching process being a lot more interactive versus just handing down information, which in a lot of ways is really historically how yoga teaching, how yoga was taught, just kind of this passed on versus there being a lot of back and forth between the student and the teacher. Although, I mean, I, I never studied, you know, anything official in the Deskachar lineage, but I, my understanding is that, you know, yoga was taught one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I mean, we know group classes are a new thing, right. but that, yeah, in the Deskachar lineage, everything was personalized to the individual. Yeah. Um, whereas that far yeah. back, I was thinking more like in modern, like the modern approach mm -hmm. to yoga, um, where yeah. it's not one-on-one, -on -one, where it's just, you know, 50, yeah. 50 people and, and, you know, a couple of teachers, but yeah, you're right. That initial approach was, you know, almost like learning, one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think, yeah, if there's any big takeaway, it, it would be teach privates and take privates. Right. Because, um, and don't, 
try to sell anything that you haven't bought yourself right. because it's really hard, you know, to, cause when you buy, like when you purchase something, um, you know what you like and what you don't like. And if you're selling that same thing, you know, whether it's a private or a class or an online course, um, you'll have a better idea of, um, you know, what you want to offer and why. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I want to kind of end on a lighter note. And yeah. So I would love for you if, you could share a little, I know you're out in California, so I imagine you might love hiking or something, but what kinds of, are you always kind of head down in a book or in the studio, or do you have some things that you like to do for fun? I know that you travel. Yeah. Uh, yes, we travel a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I do a lot of things for fun that are movement Based that are very yeah. varied. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really, um, my husband and I love to travel and we also, we go to comedy clubs a lot. Oh, that's um, great. That's one of our favorite things to do. Oh, and great. yeah, yeah. That's great uh, for relieving stress is just to laugh, right? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. And it's, we've just, we feel really lucky that, you know, we live somewhere where it's easy yeah. to go to a comedy club anytime. For so. sure. For sure. So what's your, um, what's your next, if people go to your website, will they see, um, you know, like they'll see the courses and mm -hmm. have something that is publicly available uh, and it is in their area. Can they sign up for something via your website? Yeah. If you go to my website, there's two main tabs. One is, um, online classes and the other is live events. Okay. And so, yeah, it, as far as live events, actually I'm teaching in Framingham, Massachusetts next oh. month in August. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to have to look at that because I know I'd love for you to come. It's near you. Amazing. Okay. I have to make a note for that. Okay. Great. Um, yeah. And then September I'm teaching in Australia and, uh, Indonesia and then October, I'm in Houston, Texas, and November, Vancouver. Okay. Um, and then as far as online stuff, um, I filmed uh, a whole bunch of classes and a program. I'll be filming more, but um, we did our first round um, with Yoga International last month in June. I'm not sure when the, that's going to come out, but it will come out soon. Okay. Um, have the yeah. So yeah, if you go to my online tab on my website, you'll see my classes on yoga anytime, all the um, courses that I offer on my website where if you buy them, you keep them forever. Um, you just have the, like your login and your password. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, Trina, you are officially my longest podcast conversation. Oh no. I talked your ear off. No, this is great. I love it. And I knew it was going to go like this because I had a really ambitious list of questions. So I love it. Um, I, I am so grateful to you. You know, I, I hope the time is okay for cutting, carving into your schedule a little extra. Oh yeah, no, extra. it's fine. That's why today I was like, it's such a good day because I got in so late last night from teaching yeah. in Canada and I, yeah. I canceled everything today because I knew I need to recover. So. Awesome. awesome. Well, um, for the listeners, please comment as you're listening at the end of the podcast here, wherever you're listening, just leave us a comment. We both would love to hear from you. And um, Trina, I have to thank you so much for taking time to do this. I so, so appreciate it. 
and I know the listeners are going to love it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. And I hope to see you soon. I'm going to take a look at that Framingham date and see if I can make that. Oh, good. I would love that. And thank you so much for taking your time and everything that you share because I I love all of your um, online offerings. And so I I know I can't believe I've never met you in person. It just seems crazy (laughs) because I feel like I know you so well. I know. I know. It it is nice to have that online interaction. So uh, the feeling is is mutual. good. Yeah. Well, thank you again and have a good rest of your night and I will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. Good night. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.